Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity. Now, I normally say that every week and then I go in about being disillusioned, whether you go to church or you not go to church. You hear all that in a few minutes time. But what I thought I would do is just forewarn you that over the next few weeks as school kids in the United Kingdom are no longer at school. So I thought, well, I could do with a break as well. So I'm going to be releasing different types of podcasts over the the next few weeks and they'll be released fortnightly and then right about the beginning of September we'll start with the the new Off-Grid Christianity series with new guests of course. Also we'll be launching our new website and on this website you'll be able to leave messages on a message board. Funny enough the message board will be called Keep an Open Mind. We're calling it that because that's exactly what we'd like you to do to come on to the website with an open mind. You might want to discuss something you heard, something you're not sure of, whatever. But we don't want people to come on there who think that they can bully people into believing what they believe. I understand, having been through it myself, what it's like to be disillusioned in church. And I think, do I need to go to church or whatever? And as you hear from uh, podcasts I've already recorded that haven't gone out yet, we talk about this uh, at length, certainly with one particular person, and you'll be really encouraged accordingly on that. So more about that later on and how you get onto the website and why we're having moderators and how you leave a message so that it could all be done in the best possible taste, as a comedian used to say, or a DJ, in fact, a stroke comedian used to say all those years ago. So what have we got lined up for this week? Well, this is a podcast that was the very first one, or as they say in TV land, the pilot episode. I kept it in my back pocket just in case I couldn't get a guest that week. Fair play to the guest concerned, Martin Dale, for standing with me on this because I've known him for nearly 30 years, I would say, something like that. And he was the first poet of call to the phone up and say, listen, I believe I've got to do some podcasts. I believe they're going to be called Off Grid Christianity. I need to do a pilot. Would you mind taking part in doing that? And he was very gracious and he did. But what was more interesting was not only did I learn from this and realising that actually 30 minutes isn't really enough, we need to do for at least an hour or either side of an hour, but what you hear from what Martin shares is really good and it deserves to be listened to in its own right. A few weeks ago, I revisited it and thought, right, in light of all my skills I've learned now on how to edit properly with the software that I have, I'll edit this one. Originally, it was 30 minutes. It's not 30 minutes now because, you know, I've just done a bit of editing, cleaning up sort of thing. But Martin Dell, really enjoying it, hopefully, as a recent retired vicar, hanging up his dog collar, or has he? So sit back, and here is the Reverend Martin Dell, the first ever episode I did. And if you want to contact us as well, don't forget, it's OGC at accessradio.biz, and biz is spelled B-I-Z. Cheerio. Hi, my name's Martin Purnell, and uh, you're listening to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly programme for people who feel disconnected from church. On today's podcast, Martin Dell joins me to discuss his life to date. A former patent, or is it patent lawyer? We'll find that out in a minute. Who then started a church in Switzerland before returning to the UK, where eventually he became an Anglican vicar and will retire later this year. Good afternoon to you, Martin. Hello, Martin. Whereabouts are we speaking to you from? I'm in Kings Lynn at the moment, just outside Kings Lynn, a place called Tilney St. Lawrence. Lovely. Right. Well, listen, uh, before we go any further then as to what you've been doing in your life, five simple questions so we can get get a a better picture of who you really are, if that's all right. Question number one. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be? Richard Vermbrandt. Excellent. Why? I went to hear him speak once 
and I've read In God's Underground and Tortured for Christ and Sermons from Prison. I think that's the name of the, the other one I read. And he just showed holiness. I think it's the only way I can put it. When I saw him, I saw him oozing holiness, if that's the right word. Hmm. He'd been through a lot. Um, he'd been tortured in a Romanian prison. He'd been two and a half years in solitary confinement and 14 years in prison for being a Christian, standing up to the Christian faith. Yeah. And what struck me was that um, he didn't hate his persecutors. In fact, he brought one of them to faith. No, we don't hate you. We, we hate communism, but we don't hate you. And one of them came to faith. I've got a feeling you're going to be talking about him later on. Question number two. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable? The little girl in the story of Naaman. Tell me Do more. Me to tell you more, please, yeah. Please, yeah, yeah. If you go back to One Kings, you'll read the story of the little girl. She was Jewish and she'd been captured in a raid and made to be a slave in the house of Naaman. She could have easily been bitter and thought, a dead Aramean is a good Aramean, but she didn't take that line. She Rather, she said, I see my master's got leprosy. Go and see the prophet in Israel. And she said that to her, the wife of, um, of Naaman. And Naaman listened to what she'd said. And what's more, he took it to the king. So this little girl had a hand on Aramean foreign policy. And Naaman was sent to the king of Israel, who tore his clothes and lost his temper, basically. What's this guy think he's doing? And then um, Elisha said to him, send him to me. And what I like about the little girl is that she's unknown. We don't know what her name is, but amazing that she could love her persecutor and would perhaps um, tie up with uh, Richard Wurmbrandt as well, as we mentioned earlier. Excellent. And if we want to find that story in the Bible, where would we find it, good sir? Yeah, uh, going to have to look it up. <laughs> well, no, don't look it up. Roughly. It's, it's, it's 1 Kings 5, I think. I'm sure we'll find it in 1 Kings 5. If all else fails... Drop me a line. Uh, I'll drop you a line. Or, the, or I was going to say, the right Reverend Minister Google will know. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Thank you for that. Two good answers. Question number three. If you were Prime Minister for the day and could change any law or impose a new law... What would it be? I thought about this, and I think really Sunday trading, uh, not because I'm necessarily a, a Christian, though I am, but because I think it's damaging family life. Mm -hmm. You don't have a day off. People can't be together with their family for at least one day a week. Uh, the, the one thing that John Mage did was very bad was to get, a, get rid of uh, the ban on Sunday trading. So you'd bring that back in? Yeah. Which, of course, you're entitled to if you are the Prime Minister for the day. <laughs> Question number four. Outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out? Well, I think actually going to Lawn Abbey for a retreat. Sometimes you get, as a vicar, you get really worn out and you just need to get rid of the phone, not listen to people with their problems, but actually just get away, have a time of prayer and just relax. And uh, so Lawn Abbey, I enjoy going to Lawn Abbey. That's in Leicestershire down the A47 between Leicester and uh, Peterborough. Got you. Thank you. And finally, what has been your most embarrassing moment to date? <laughs> I thought that I wouldn't get away with this one. Well, OK, I saw Maddie in the morning. I was taking a funeral at the Mintling Crematorium and I went up there. I usually try to get there an hour early so I don't get caught in the traffic. And uh, I said, 
goodbye. And Maddie said, she's going to come and follow me. And she came up. And at the time, I was looking for a lady called Rachel. So I went, so she came in, and she changed the clothes. And I said, oh, hello, are you Rachel? And she looked at me, and she said, I'm your wife, Maddie. I said, no, no, I'm looking for Rachel. Are you Rachel? The undertakers tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's your wife. And how long have you been married? Uh, 40 years. And how long ago did that happen? Oh, uh, this year. <laughs> and you're still married, apparently. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was when I last looked. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. I did say right at the very beginning, by the way, you, that you're a patent lawyer or you're a patent lawyer. Tomato, well, tomato, what pat- are you? I used to call myself a patent attorney or a patent agent, whichever you like. But some people call it patent, some call it patent. So it doesn't really um, matter. doesn't really matter. You've just got to get the qualification. Which you've got. So what does actually a patent or patent lawyer do then, good sir? Well, patent lawyer will, the, the most important role I think he has is to make sure that if you launch a new product, that you're not going to infringe anyone else's product. I had that once when um, I went to a meeting and the marketing director said, we want to do this. And I said, well, actually, you're going to infringe this patent. And uh, he said, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, fine. I said, you'll have an interlocutory injunction uh, on your desk in a couple of days. Oh, no, this is a German firm. They know what they're doing. And um, came down two days later. I said, oh, he said, what? guess what happened? I said, yeah, the interlocutory injunction. And uh, I couldn't do wrong after that. So there you go. The amount of money you must have saved. And also, no doubt, it works both ways, isn't it? For copywriting, everything else, and for patents yeah. and patents. Thank you. Well, I did say earlier on that you ended up in Switzerland. So how come that was the case? Well, it was through being a patent lawyer. I was actually training still at the time. And I saw the advert uh, for Sando, which is the company I work for. And I sort of let it go. And then they re-advertised. So I thought, funny. And um, I found out later that they had offered the job to someone, told everyone else that uh, the job's gone. And then three days before he was due to come, he said, no, I'm going to the United States. So they were annoyed to have to re-advertise it. I got the job anyway. And uh, I met Maddie at the Anglican Church in Basel, which is why I'm very keen on ICS, because that's an ICS church. ICS being? Intercontinental Church Society. And so I I met Maddie through that, and uh, we got married according to the rights of the Church of England. You have to have a civil marriage first, so we had one civil marriage and then married in church. And then we started to have our children, and the minister said, oh, you can't bring your children to church um, because no one will look after them. We had people queuing up to look after the babies, and uh, Eventually, I thought, well, we, we can't stay in a church. You know, you say Maddie should stay at home or you should stay at home with the children. I'm thinking that's not what church should be. So we left and we joined a Pentecostal church in Rheinfelden. And we got involved in a Pentecostal English church there as well. From that, I, I started to lead worship, uh, things like that. And then I felt a calling to start the English Charismatic Fellowship. And my friends left me. Friends from church didn't want to know us. I think it was only one one couple that stayed with us as friends from our Bible study group. You what? know, you're not well. They, they they thought I was getting above myself, yeah. and yet I felt God was calling us to do it. And actually, I had a time of fasting. I've never been able to do it before or since. 
um, for a week. I was able to fast, and when it was lunchtime, I'd go down in my study and pray. And eventually, one uh, Swiss Reform pastor was willing to give us a go. So I shared my uh, vision with Johannes Schwalina. And uh, Johanna said, yeah, come to church on uh, on Sunday and uh, perhaps do a song. So we did a song. I still remember it's El Shaddai. Mm-hmm. And then a young man in the congregation came up afterwards and stuck three verses on my guitar. He said, the Lord's given me these three verses for you. The first was from Isaiah 43, I think it says 42, something like that, where it says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm causing rivers to flow in the desert. The second one was, you will reap where you have not sown, from John 4. And then the last one from Exodus, the Lord will fight for you when you're silent. I wish I'd listened to that one a bit more. I got into (laughs) scraps with Christianese. Anyway, uh, we started the church as a a charismatic fellowship. And with time, we suddenly realized that we got the vision wrong and we should be reaching the refugees. And so we started going into the refugee camp. Um, we firstly did it in Rian when it was there, but it was only open for a couple of weeks and then they moved everyone to Basel. So I went there, I, I went to the camp, I rang up the camp commandant and I said to him, you don't know us, but we've started a new church. We'd like to invite your uh, refugees to come to church on Sunday. Would you give us a go? And if it's, if you don't like us, fair enough. Hmm. He said, that seems a fair deal. So the following Monday, we, we went in on the Saturday, invited them to come to church. The following uh, Monday, I rang him up and said, how was it? And he said, my people say you're great. And eventually I got a special pass to go in because the lady doctor who was running the camp, who was the psychologist, said they come back from church much better suited to, to be able to live in Switzerland, having been to your church. Well, there was one guard, we used to call him Dumbo. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Well, I'll say it's spelt differently then, Joe. <laughs> and uh, and uh, what I what I said, uh, we said he used to say, "Oh no, oh you're here again," sort of thing. And Maddie got talking with him, and he said, "You know, I'm really trying to find a flat in uh, in Basel City. I live too far away." So uh, we we get the free post used to come around in Rian where we lived, and she collected a couple of these. And next time we we went in to invite the refugees on the Saturday. Uh, she said, look, these are for you. And he stopped and said, for me. And uh, he could see there were housing that he was looking for. And he said, stop you two. And I didn't go in. He said, stay here. He walked into the dining room. He said to all of them, you, 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 church tomorrow. And uh, he was really on our side after that. Wow. Small thing wow. giving him a newspaper showing the flats that you could get in Basel. Wow. Obviously, from Switzerland, you then come back to England, and eventually you become an Anglican vicar. And I'm just thinking, from what you've seen from Switzerland and from from the UK, you mentioned earlier on that people were telling you, you know, at the beginning of your ministry, they didn't think you should be doing it and you're losing friends. Mm -hmm. How does that resonate with you today, bearing in mind that we've just come through covid through the isolation of uh, lockdown. How does that resonate with you, what you've been through? Well, I think there's something to be said for the ordination system. I put a, a sermon up on sermoncentral.com about divorce, and uh, someone wrote to me, having read it, and said, I got this situation, he said, a man married a woman, had two children, divorced her, 
she remarried, he remarried. He then had four children with his second wife. And then he became a Christian. He had a Pentecostal pastor that says God doesn't believe in divorce. So he divorced his second wife. He got his first wife to leave her husband and they got together. And the end of his email was, what would you do? And my wrote back and said, well, I'm glad it's not my problem, exclamation mark. If the Pentecostal pastor had read New Scripture, Deuteronomy 24 says very clearly that you cannot go back to your first wife if you divorce her. So I think there's something to be said for proper training uh, if you're going to run a church. Accountability, that's one thing that I find important in the Anglican system. Even if you have a bishop who's not a Christian, and I, I won't say more than that, at least they've got some managerial skill. And sometimes it's good to just talk with them about the problems. Yes, I can see people, if they didn't have the vision that I had, would find it difficult to accept yet another church in Basel City. I mean, there's 240,000. I think they had about 50 churches. So they didn't want yet another church. Mm. But um, I actually went into it with a lot of prophecy. And without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. When you say a lot of prophecy, explain more by what you mean by that. Because I'd started the English Charismatic Fellowship, I got involved with a, a number of Pentecostal pastors in Switzerland. And we had a big meeting. And at that meeting, it was a German-speaking meeting, they had a, a chap called Harold Fox. And they sat us together because they thought, he being American, I being English, that we spoke the same language. And I just sort of said to him, well, what do you do for a living? And he said, uh, we well, introduced himself, I'm Harold Fox. And, uh, and he said he was a prophet. And without thinking, I said, have you got a word from God for me? And he said, yes, you won't be in Switzerland much longer. I looked at him, I, my mind was saying, this guy's out to lunch, you know, I've got mm. two houses, a steady job. What's this guy talking about? And uh, I argued with Maddie in, in the car going home, what's, you know, going on? Anyway, three days later, from some headhunters, nothing to do with Harold Fox at all. And they said, you interested in a job in Hull? And I said, where's Hull? And they said, it's in England. <laughs> and uh, I was offered the job as head of Pants at Wrecking Coleman. And... Um, when I went back to people in Sandoz said to me, stay with us because Wrecking Colm is going to fold. You know, you won't have a job. Anyway, within six months, that part of Sandoz that I'd been working was spun off. So they were worried about their jobs. Two years later, the the Seabra Geig and Sandoz merged to form Novartis. And the rest of the patent department were worried about their jobs. So when I went back to visit, they said, did you have some inside knowledge? I said, yeah, a bit higher than the MD, though. Yeah. So that got me to the UK. When I was in Head of Pants at Records, I started after about four or five years feeling, I feel drawn to, to the ministry. So I said to Mandy, what do you think? Because it's always good to see what your wife feels about it. She says, yeah, I felt it for a good couple of weeks. And I then went forward and uh, I said to my vicar, I think God's calling me to be a, a pastor. So he looked at me and said, you're serious, aren't you? I said, yeah. So we went to see Jonathan Cooper, Maddie and myself. He didn't ask me, didn't say a word to me. He spoke to Maddie. And then he turned around and says, yes, I think you're called. And he talked through the difficulties of being a clergy wife with her. And you could see that she was with me on this. Who's Jonathan Cooper? Jonathan Cooper was the local vicar, the vicar at Christchurch, Bridlington. Right. And then 
in that year, I had about four different prophecies to go forward. And I think the most interesting one, they have a national conference, the Church of England. Mm -hmm. And I was due to go in two weeks' time. I walked into church and I said, Lord, if this is from you, give me confirmation in this service that you want me to go forward. Normally I sit at the front, but I sat halfway to the back because I was a bit late. And uh, they had a chap who stood up. I'd never met him before. And uh, he, he said, I don't know what this means. He said, it's bothered me all service, but I'm going to say it anyway. He said, you in the blue jumper. I said, it's me. He said, God's calling you into deeper leadership. The church burst out laughing. And he said, what's that mean? He's going to Abham in a, a, week, a week's time. <laughs> so um, Bruce Collins um, really had it right. I'd never met him before. He couldn't have been set up to do it because I didn't sit in my usual place. I sat, mm. sat further back. And then I was the president, local president of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship in Driffield. And we had a lady whose husband had come to speak. And I was driving her to where she's going to stay overnight. And she said to me, Martin, I want to tell you something. I said, yeah, Maggie, what, what do you want to tell me? And she said, God's calling you to be a priest. And I said, do you know what you mean? What do you mean by that? She said, I haven't a clue. I've just got to tell you that. I said, well, that's what they call Anglican clergymen. One thing led to the other. Yeah. You can see what's come across here is that not everyone might have the same number of prophecies that, that you've had throughout your life. Have you ever thought about what would have happened had you not taken the, the course of action that you did by obeying what you thought? And obviously you took on board the prophecies, you chew it over, you put it in the back burner mm -hmm. of your brain sort of thing to see what happens. Have you ever thought what would happen had you not gone ahead? Well, I, I did, in a sense, feel the first calling back in 1984 in Dufour Platz in Basel. And I said, no, nah, that's nonsense, and put it away for six or eight years, you know. So I've already been through that in the sense that God will still lead you back if you're willing to. Um, if you're not willing to, he'll just leave you to it. Obviously, it's um, the A course for your life, but if you don't want to, God doesn't give up on you. He just go with you as far as you're prepared to go with him. You can obviously identify with many people that would be listening today, for instance, who you know used to go to church, but maybe just got totally fed up with what happened to them. I'm sure you've got stories on how you might well have been, uh, let's say, stabbed in the back, for want of a better expression, by well-meaning or not so well-meaning Christians. Mm. What do you feel about the people not going back to church today? Well, I would say, see firstly, if that's God's calling you to do something different. It might be that you form a small house church together. But the danger of that is that if you don't have proper teaching, if you don't know your Bible well, you have the situation that you ha we had in America ab about the divorced man becoming a Christian and then being told to divorce his second wife. So you, you need to have proper teaching, but you may just... If you've got Christians around you, you might form a house group that way. Obviously, you can go on the internet and get fed that way. But I like the idea of church being a fire, and each one of us is a coal. And if you take the coal out of the fire, uh, it tends to go cold. And the, the danger of cutting yourself off from any church or any other Christians is that you will go, you, you will go cold. It may well be that you're, the church you're at is not the one you're meant to be at, that might be something different, look at something different. But I think Paul says it very clearly. He says, I think it's in Corinthians, he talks about telling them you should be meeting together. 
I hear some of you are not meeting together regularly. You should be, because you need that for fellowship. So I can understand people saying, oh, I don't want to. There's some people who can't get out of home, who have been Zooming into meetings. I saw that at Chateau Day when I went uh, to preach for a couple of Sundays there in Switzerland. And they actually had the prayers in the church service from London because they, they zoomed the lady in who was um, doing the prayers for the service. They said, stand here, don't go out of this box, otherwise we'll lose you. So, so I think we are Christians that need one another. So we do need some sort of Christian contact. And therefore, not being in church at all is not really the best way to go about it. So I'd say look for something else. Perhaps you've got like-minded people who will go with you, join with you. Other than that, I, I can't say anything different, I don't think. I, I think it is important. But you might have to zoom in if you're physically not able. Then find a church where you can zoom in, see if you can make friends through that, get people to... Because part of the Christian message is that you get to know other people who are Christians who can help you. They can see you if you're going off the rails a bit. They can encourage you, go for that. When we started the English Charismatic Fellowship, I had one couple that went with me and they stayed with me and they're running it now. And it's uh, been going for close on 30 years, 1988. Maddie was telling me that we founded it. And um, they've got a restaurant running and they've got a, a building. It's, it's amazing what they've done with it wow. from small beginnings. But wouldn't there be a time, do you think, and some people might be listening today, said they might have felt that they've been condemned for not going back to church for whatever reason? What well, do you think about that? That's sad, really. Um, you should never be condemned for not going to church because what does that do? It pushes you further away from church, doesn't it? Mm. Rather, what you say is, oh, nice to see you again. That's what I'd like to hear people say. Uh, how are you? How have you been since we last saw you, you know? When when that happens, and I, I, would con I wouldn't condone that at all. I would condemn it rather than condone it well we're rapidly running out of time unfortunately martin and i'm sure there are loads of other questions but one final question before we get to your two minute hero if that's okay um mm. and more about that in a second you're coming up to retirement very soon where do you see your life going for the the next installment of your life well at the moment we feel as if we're going to get involved with the churches in europe there, there's a diocese in europe uh, an anglican diocese in europe and we're we're hoping to get involved. I'm going to take six six months off, basically because bishops told me to, and I took an oath when I became vicar here to obey the bishop in all things honest and, uh, what's it, legal and honest. That's part of submission, isn't it? Well, it's part of um, working with your bishop, and he told me to take six months off, and I thought, that makes a lot of sense. So I've already told people, now I can't do anything for the first six months. But once the six months are over, we're looking forward to going into Europe. Um, it's quite nice when you go uh, into a church when you don't have any background to it. I went to um, Vevey and I spoke about uh, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And the, the, the basic line was at the end, are you in the place where God wants you to be? And a number of people came up and had a chat with me afterwards and wanted to talk it through. So there is a big advantage that if you're not known and you know that they know it's a finite time that you're there, they may well share a lot more with you than they would with their local pastor. Well, I'm sure your congregation, your flock, as you're a vicar, 
we'll be looking forward to sending you off on the, your merry way in the nicest sense of the word <laughs> in, the, the, well, in the next few months. Martin's been an absolute delight listening to you today. I'd like you please, if that's okay, something I used to do on the radio years ago when uh, that was my, my occupation. I'd always ask a guest to give a two-minute hero slot. And basically, you're no exception. You're going to be asked to do it. I've got a feeling I know who you're going to choose. Martin, thanks for time again, and uh, I'll leave the, the rest of the time to you. Thank you. My name is Martin Dale. I'm vicar in Tilney St. Lawrence near Kings Lynn in the East Marshall and Benefice. My hero is Richard Vermbrandt. Richard Vermbrandt was born in 1909 and died 91 years later. He was a Romanian pastor, and I was amazed by him. His story roughly is that he got converted just before the Second World War. He was Jewish in background, got converted and became an Anglican priest. And he was evangelizing to the communists who took power after the Second World War, and they put him in prison. And he had two and a half years in, in solitary confinement. And what amazed me was that he wasn't bitter. I could see people being bitter. We've worked, Maddie and I have worked in World's Prison, and we've seen people who have been bitter about their uh, imprisonment. But he was put in prison. Uh, he was tortured, and he just had this holiness. But the one time I saw him preach, he had a holiness that I wish I had. And so that's why he's my hero. Martin, thank you very much indeed for joining us today.